right? In fact, I would say this, successful people often go through greater challenges than those who fail. So successful people respond, and this is the key, they respond to those challenges, those difficulties, differently. It's not that they face different things, they respond differently. When there are things that are going good, all well, you know, when money's in the bank, children are getting good grades, your new boss finds you in favor, you know, life is easy, it's great, chebode, right? In life, it's easy to be happy when things are going our way. How many can say amen? amen? Hey, things are going my way. But see, that's not what makes a success. No, no. How do you act under pressure is the difference between a failure and a success. What you do during confrontation is the difference between a failure and a success. How you respond to an argument is the difference between a failure and a success. So you have to have a, I call it an inner eye. You have, to, you have to look at yourself. You have to uh, refer to yourself in the light and uh, the life of men, how Jesus looks at us. See, Jesus says that the eye is responsible for receiving the light for the body. And I always thought about that, okay, all right, makes sense. Yeah. Now you look at it biologically, they understand that, that the vision is, is light, right? Or the absence thereof. So the amount of light received and distributed depends on the power and the accuracy of the eye that receives it. When I was in the military, I used to work on infrared uh, lenses. I was an infrared technician. We had a lens, and what that was, it was basically it was a high-powered night vision device used on anti-tank missile systems, and it could be pitch black, but the infrared lens was like a, almost looked like a mirror where you would look at something, and it would be able to look at the, un, the invisible light. And from the invisible light, it would detect what type of object was there. Man, woman, truck, car, dog, anything. It was an amazing thing. When you looked through it, in the middle, it could be pitch black, but you could see everything because even in that darkness, there was invisible light. Hmm. So that eye was very good at, at picking up things. Now, if that device was malfunctioning, uh, you'd be in trouble. We would, we would get written up because we would have to get the, the, the crosshairs on the, on the siding equipment, and it could not be off even a sixteenth of an inch, even off. And they would test it because if it was off at a sixteenth of an inch and you're aiming at a tank down uh, 100 yards down the way, that sixteenth of an inch would make you miss that tank by 10 feet. Could you imagine if you had that sight and you, you shoot it, and by the time it got the tank, and you were right on it, but because that mark, that, that crosshair was off, you'd miss the tank. Be sure that that tank wouldn't miss you. Very important. And like man, if the eye is diseased, it may prevent access to the bright light. If, you, if you're blind, our brother got healed of uh, blindness. He had, he had um, cataracts, correct? And he was foggy. And, be, and because it was foggy, he could not receive the light, so he couldn't distinguish uh, uh, um, different things. He couldn't see the detail and, and, and pictures and animals and trees, whatever. The detail was lost, not because the detail wasn't there, because the light was hindered. Hmm? So if you pervert that light... If you pervert the light, then you won't see things as they are. In extreme cases, the eye does not receive light at all. Blind. The eye is put out. How profound is one's darkness? If it's if it obscured or distorted, how radical and misleading could your errors be? You know, some people, I, I, I'm disturbed by those people who think they know it all. Because what if you're wrong? I know if you're one of those who know it all and you're not, you can, that can never happen. But what if you're wrong and you happen to live life as if you're right? But at the end of life, you realize, you know what? I stood and I made my choice and I stood because I knew I was right. And what if you were wrong? 
right? So it is most important that we should keep the, the one organ which receives and imparts light in healthy condition. Huh? Now, I'm, I'm talking about the physical eye, but I'm really talking about something beyond the physical eye. The light of all our seeing, the light of all our working, the light of all our progress. Luke 11.33, Luke is a physician, an appropriate man to write about light since he's a medical doctor. He says this, no one lights a lamp and puts it in a place where it will be hidden or under a bowl. Instead, he puts it on a, on a stand so that those who come in may see the light. Your eye is the lamp of your body. When your eye is good, your whole body is full of light. But when they are bad, your whole body is full of darkness. So how you see things? How do you see the gospel? My wife is, came up here and said, Victor Arich, we believe that people have a call in life. That's, how, that's our light, if you will. That's what I've been taught by my pastor. That's what we're taught from Pastor Sonny. You go, also we're taught by Nikki Cruz. That's what we're taught by all the way back to Dave Wilkerson. That everybody that comes to the Christ has a call. That's our light. The problem often arises when our light doesn't match up with your light. Right? See, because it says, the light gives eyes to the whole body. But when they are bad, your body also is full of darkness. So the question is, is am I preaching a good light that you're called? Of course I am. I, I got this from the man. Pastor Sonny. Got 100 churches all over the country, all over the world, 500 churches. Nikki Cruz. Nikki Cruz, who's probably led more men to Jesus Christ than any man in history. That's my dad. In Luke 35, let's keep reading, reading it. Luke 5, 11, 35. See to it then that the light within you is not darkness. Ooh, that's heavy. So whatever you think is good, in your mind, you have your reason, your, your, your philosophy of life, if you, of life, if you will, right? We all have our way of thinking. So Luke says, you need to see to it that the way you're thinking, your light, huh, that's within you, is not darkness. Think about that. What if, this is play with words, everything you believed about Christianity, you believed about, about work, you believed about... Uh, marriage, you believed about raising kids, everything that you believe was darkness. And here I am messing up your day. Right? So Paul, the writer Luke says, you need, not me, you need to see to it that everything that you think is light is not darkness. Therefore, Verse 36, if your whole body is full of light and no part of it dark, it will be completely lighted as when the light, light of a lamp shines on you. So the spiritual application of this passage is that a healthy, trained, unprejudiced understanding. Let me say that again. A healthy, trained, unprejudiced understanding. I say unprejudiced understanding because, listen, we're all prejudiced. Can I say that? We're all, we all, prejudice means this. We all have a prejudgment. When, when, when you come in the door, and, and, you know, you walk in. I was talking to a young man. He was an African-American guy the other day, yesterday. And I said, look, dude, you're a black guy right here. You're, they're already going to paint you with a prejudice that you're a thug or whatever. So you got to overcome that. That's just the way it is. Don't cry about it. That's the way it is. Correct? Can I say that? Amen. So that's the way it is. It doesn't mean we cry about it. No, we say, okay, I'm going to prove everybody wrong. Your job is to prove everybody wrong. Well, Simple. I had to do it. Yeah. Hmm? We had to prove it. Why? And how do we do that? We, we do that by being true to the gospel, by not being liars, by being honest, by being gentlemen, by being honorable, stand up upright. That's how we prove it. Yeah. Yeah. Amen. Live in the light. Yeah. Because some people, well, they're calling you. Well, they're calling you a thug because look how you act and pick your pants up, dude. Nobody wants to see you crack. And we ain't talking about the drugs. 
Hello, somebody. Is anybody home? Huh? So the spiritual application of the passage is that healthy, trained, unprejudiced understanding is required for the light to be good. So now if you if you unprejudice yourself and you read the gospel, then you can see, okay, how do I read this now? The health of uh, and power of one's understanding by which we receive truth depends mainly on one thing. Establishing the right attitude. Not having all the answers. Because if you have all the answers, you already got the wrong answer, uh, attitude. Because some people, they think they know it all. Come on, you're, you're all messed. Don't, whoever, you, if you know a know-it-all, stay away from them. Because yeah. they'll take you right off the cliff. Yeah. Huh? No, 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 no. We want to have the right attitude. And then if you have the right attitude, then you're going to begin to, God will begin to show you why. Because you have an attitude, an open attitude, a learning attitude. Show me the truth. I, 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 I'm willing to take criticism. Help me. I want to be better. You have the right posture. Hmm? Why? Because the world and its pressure works overtime at distorting your eyes. Overtime. So if you have the right attitude, all that pressure won't affect you. But if you have a chip on your shoulder, and I ain't been done right, and then man, you're crying, you're sniveling right, and you have a bad attitude, then the world's going to throw more stuff at you, more stuff at you, more stuff at you, and to show you that you're right. See, you're right. You are. That's how people are. They're rude. They're mean. They don't like you. They, they're prejudiced. Yeah. Welcome. But despite that, if you have the right attitude, that won't affect you, right? Because you're going to do the right thing. We're, we're in the world, but we're not of the world. Right? And so we have to always keep that in our minds. To that world, the pressure, trying to pervert the hearing and the sifting of God's word. Just like I'm speaking now. Your life, your background, your history, your abuse, your misuse, whatever you went through is filtering everything I'm saying right now. And you're, you're shooting away things that you don't like and you're taking in things you do like. Why? Because you're prejudiced. You have a, you have a prejudgment on everything that's coming out of my mouth. Why do you think I say so much scripture? Because you can argue about what I say, but you can't argue what the Bible says. Huh? So the world is trying to kill any desire you may have or once had to know and follow Jesus at whatever cost. They say, oh, you, don't have, you can follow Jesus, but you don't have to follow him that much. Just, you know, show your respect every now and then. You can follow Jesus like this. Why? Because the world is trying to distort you. When the Bible is clear, no man who picks up his cross and looks back is fit for the kingdom of God. How does your light take that word? How does your prejudice receive that? Does it receive it or say, wait, wait, get, get away from me. Back, back, get, get back. Close my eyes. I don't want to see that. I have my own understanding of how it is to be a Christian. See, the world uses, I call them the big five. Say the big five. Big five. To stop you from seeing that God is able to pull you through whatever you're going through. I don't care what you're going through. I don't care how bad your relationship is. I don't care how bad anything is. God could pull you through, but the world keeps throwing the big five at you. Huh? That's why I read the opening of scripture, 2 Corinthians 9, 8. And God is able to make all grace abound to you so that you, that in all things, that all having all that you, you need will abound in every good work. God is able. Amen. Even if you have number one of the big five, even if you're discouraged. Anybody been discouraged? Yeah. Discourage, what do you mean? That's the absence of courage. Right. To over the course of my life, I have discovered that everybody, every Christian, every person gets discouraged. Right. Oh, yes, they do. Plans fail, dreams uh, drift out of range, goals suffer setbacks, and you're discouraged. Yeah. The dog bites you, the children run away. Yeah. The, you burn the beans. Discouragement. Hello, someone. And not everybody responds to discouragement in the same way. And it goes back to what I just said earlier. Attitude. Listen, 
If you had discouragement, welcome. You know what that means? You're alive. Attitudes dictate whether you will give up or get up. Attitudes dictate whether you will give up or get up. Because you're going to be discouraged. I like Benjamin Franklin once said this. The sentence which has most influenced my life is, some persons grumble against God because he plays thorns among roses. Why not thank God because he plays roses among thorns? Hmm? Discouragement. You're going to get discouraged. So we have to be a people that learn and know how to handle discouragement. We need to possess that disposition that we see roses amongst the thorns. We see the silver lining in every cloud. We see something good come out of tragedy. Instead of always saying, woe is me, woe is me. What do you mean, woe is me? Why not you? I got enough of my own. You need to get some too. Huh? What do you see? Remember? And the way you determine that is what? By the light. What kind of light you got inside you? See, if you're always, always me, your light is darkness. Uh, we need to be the people to know how to deal with discouragement. Get the right perspective. And I'm going to tell you something. Seldom, seldom are circumstances as bad as they feel. Seldom are circumstances as bad as they feel even in the darkest moments. Very seldom are they that bad. Oh, they feel bad, but when the outcome, at the end of the day, when you run through that day, it really wasn't that bad. But boy, when it's happening, we make it sound like, oh, 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 right? Wham. Wham. I told my, my grandbaby that the other day. But every time you come complain to me, don't, um, first time I say, I'm going to look at you, I'm going to go, wham. Why? Because I don't want to hear you going cry. Every time I see you crying, I'm going to go, wham. <laughs> and she's seven. She should be doing that. What about the rest of us? Yeah. Don't make me go, wham, when you walk up to me, wham. Yeah. Huh? We got to see, get the right perspective. Try to put hard times in the proper perspective by distancing ourselves from the, the emotion. Because your emotions often are an ally of your problem. Right? Especially if you're an emotional person. If you have a problem, don't trust your emotion. That's the ally. That's the enemy. The, your emotions are the ally of your enemy. But what happens? You get emotional and you respond to your enemy. And then, once you get deeper, anybody get deeper after they do their emotions? Then they get deeper, and then they start blaming the people who cause the emotion. And they get deeper and deeper. Discouragement. Got to see the right people. A relationship either build us up or tear us down. Surround yourself with encouragers who lend you support, lift the load. Say the right words, see the right people, get the right perspective. Most of our unhappiness in life is due to the fact that you are listening to yourself rather than talking to yourself. Huh? Because you know how we go. If you're like me, you get thoughts. Right? You know what I'm talking about? Some of you got thoughts like nonstop. And it goes almost beyond your control. Don't succumb to whichever thought just happened to leap into your head. Haven't you figured out that most of the thoughts that jump into your head are stupid? You haven't figured that out yet? I'm, I'm gonna let you in on it, okay? And uh, let me just let me move back by here right now. I don't want to, you know, jump on you too much. But this is what you have to do. You have to purposely fix your mind on the positive and speak blessings. And faith. But I'm going through it. I know you're going. We're all going through it. Hello, somebody. Find me somebody who's not going through it so I can slap them and make them go through it. We're all going through it. 
So the, the way to handle, because my, this is my light, my light tells me this. The way to handle this is to speak blessing and faith. That's my light. What's your light say? Your light, does your light say complain, snivel and cry? Then how dark is your light? Speak blessing. I practice that. Hey, when I walked into campus, I had to see light. Man, bless this place, Lord, because it's all messed up. I, I used to say like this when we, when we see the house, Lord, blind my wife's eyes right now. Don't let her see right what she sees. Amen. Hallelujah. That's another message. You have problems. Number two, not no discouragement, but we have problems. 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 Uh, just as everybody gets discouraged, so everyone runs into problems. Uh, when you're facing a problem, what do you got to do? Same thing like I said earlier. Adjust your attitude. By adjusting your attitude, that can be a precursor to adjusting your situation. See, your situation won't change unless your attitude changes. Can you imagine? Say you have a bad problem and you have a bad attitude, but then your situation gets better. What good are you going to do if you take your bad attitude into a good situation? You're going to turn that good situation bad. And then you wonder why you never got a problem? Because you never adjust your attitude. Adjust your attitude. Right? Look at your problem. Adjust your attitude because it's going to change. That way your attitude is good. And when you get to the new situation, guess what? Your situation is good. Because if you get there and you keep your bad attitude, all you're doing is bringing your problems into every situation. That's why some people don't want to invite you over for dinner. Here comes sister problems. Oh. Hello, somebody. Huh? We have to be like that. Remember, change on the outside always follows change on the inside. I don't get better because things are getting better. I get better because I'm getting better. And when I get better, things get better. That's right. Thank you, Lord. It's an amazing thing that happens. Huh? See, we have to be people that know how to handle problems. Huh? We have to comprehend that our fight is not against flesh and blood, but against powers and principalities in heavenly places. When people get mad at me and attack me, I don't take it personal. I never do. You know why? Because my fight is not with people. I understand that I am in a spiritual world and, and there are demonic persons and presence and, and, and principalities that are affecting the very people that I'm trying to reach, that are affecting the very people that I love. And I know they're being affected. And I don't look at the person because of whatever has happened. No, I know that they're just being used and they don't even know it half the time, 90% of the time. So I got to pray for them. Because when they get better, I want to come in there with the right attitude so that everything gets better. Because they're going to get better. They always do. Well, if they wanted the Lord, they, they always do. Some just rather like sin. If you like sin, then you're on your own, dude. Amen? So we have to understand. See, we need to handle problems because they're going to come. You have to define what a problem is. And listen, very simple. A problem is something you can do something about. I know so many people that worry about things that they can't change. That's not a problem. That's just life, man. A problem is something I can solve. If I can't solve it, then it's not, not none of my business. I just move on. Amen? Amen. See, if I cannot do something about a situation, it is a fact of life, not a problem. And some people can't accept a fact of life. Hmm? We have to anticipate problems. Not just be put our head to the sand. A problem anticipated. Check this out. If you anticipate a problem, you know what you might just find? You might just find an opportunity. If you have the right attitude. If you anticipate a problem, you look for an opportunity. It's, I did that earlier. That's how I do all the time. I said, I know there's a problem. We have a problem in this community. We don't have enough 
facilities for women drug addicts. We don't. That's a problem. But see, I'm anticipating a problem. Guess what I just created and what I've seen? An opportunity. See, now my opportunity is, let's create that facility. So I don't look at it as a problem more. I look at it as a, what? An opportunity. If nobody else can do it, I am. Because now I have an opportunity. Now you can personalize that with whatever you're doing, whatever you're going through. Personalize this problem. Amen? Embrace each problem as a potential opportunity. In fact, problems often wake up a person's creativity. Right? Because you would never have to think if you didn't have a problem. What do I do? How do I do it? I got, I got a problem. My, my creativity. You got to solve the problem. And, but if you look at the problem, oh, man, I got another problem. I got another problem. All you can do is cry and snivel. You'll never be able to spin your, activity, your creativity to solve it. Every time I see a problem, I say, oh, man, you got to get my creative juices going. Right? How am I going to fix this? How am I going to fix that? Right? We got this. I mean, let's fix this. Let's get this. How do you think I, I see buildings and things and I fix them? Why? Because I, I don't see the problem. I see the opportunities. Wow. This kitchen's a mess. Mouse infested. Rat infested. Wow. I'm going to take out the wall. And I did. Huh? Because I didn't look at the problem. I looked at the opportunity. This place is so messed up. It needs the wall taken out. But if it wasn't that messed up, let's imagine if I went to my house and the kitchen was nice. Guess what? I would have never took the wall out. I had a nice kitchen. But since the kitchen was all messed up, I took the wall out. Creativity. Amen? Because And here's the, the, the distinction. Some people just don't like to change. Oh. Change. That's, that's the number three. Change is an unavoidable and often unwelcome part of life. You're going to change. You're going to change. When I was a kid, I used to be able to run and never get tired. Literally, I can get, get my tennis and run and just keep running and just keep and just never get tired. 20 miles, run. You know, that's why in the military, they have, they're, they're all young. When the military, you don't, you're going on a 23, 24-mile march. And you can do it. When you're 19, 18, you can do it. Backpack, weapon, and march. Now, you tell somebody like Jose and Martin to do 25 miles with a backpack, they'll, they'll join the Russians. Amen? They'll go on the other side. Amen? <laughs> Shoot. You, you ain't going to do it. Why? Because you can't. You, you, you know, you just can't do it. You're, you know, you're old. Right? You're, you're old. What am I saying? See, when you're young, you're a certain way, but guess what? No matter how hard, you're going to change. You're going to change, right? You're going to change. Right, young ladies? You're going to change. You used to be in a size six. Now, whew, six, like, that, that's like, don't even fit your feet no more. You know what I'm talking about? You ain't going back there no more. You're changed, unchanged. Believe it or not, change. You have children, you're going to change. You have children, they're going to put you through changes. Amen? Amen. Change. Uh, well, so we have to be a people who know how to handle change. We, have to, we know how to accept the change and realize that when we accept change and embrace change, it sparks us to grow. It sparks growth in our life. Because why? We embrace change. We love change. Huh? Christians, Victor Irish, we need to come to terms with change. Huh? Determine that change will be an ongoing part of your life. Ongoing. We're, you know, as I'm getting older and older, getting near the sixth O, getting nearer and nearer, near, there's, there's things that happen to me that, what is it? I feel like, ow, oh, what's this? Oh, 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 what's that? Oh, what's this? Right? I used to be able to get up and just go. Now I got to go. I got to get, like, get oil on my, my, my gears. You know what I'm talking about? 
And no matter how much I work out, I work out, it doesn't matter. If I lay down long enough and I try to get up, I can't. I got to get up real slow. Why? Because it's change. It's going to change. And that's just an example of all the changes you're going to go through. Job change, car change, house change, education change, everything change. Right? That's not a bad thing. It's a good thing if we embrace it and allow it to grow us. Right? Alfred P. Sloan said that success does not lie in your ability to adjust to change. It lies in your ability to anticipate change. So it's going to happen. As I sit here, I already think about as I get older, I can't do as much. How many books am I going to write? Not if I'm going to write, it's how many am I going to write. As, as I'm putting aside the, the, the academic life of going to school uh, every night, of writing theses and papers, and I've been doing that for 10 years now, when I put that aside, what am I going to do? Well, how many books am I going to write? Because that's going to change, but I, I don't have to stop. I can do something else. Hmm, change. So when we see change coming, we can move along with, with it rather than being blindsided by it. Make a commitment to, to pay the price for change. Because along life's journey, you must make sacrifice to stay abreast of change. You have to. Listen, I feel sorry for people that are my age that are technologically challenged. They go, I don't like smartphones. I just have my little flip phone. Like, well, good for you, man, but you're missing out. Check out, check out, look at all the stuff I got. <laughs> you old fart. <laughs> right? I, I'm, I'm like, I, I love technology. Great stuff. Man, save me. We just, we just, okay. We just went to, we, we, we went, we changed from, from direct TV, direct TV? No, no, Dish Network to cable. And I don't care about either one, but this is what I do like. Uh, I'm able to cut my bill by $200 because I got rid of my uh, phone bill from the, from the uh, what do they call it, the business line. If you have a business line, if you have a business, they charge you like five times more than it's worth because you're a business. They can, they can do that. I, I was able to cut my business line, save me a couple hundred bucks, take it onto my personal line. But who, who has a home phone? Two people? The rest of us. But most people don't have a home phone. Why? Because we have this. But... But now what I did, I took that business line, I'm going to hit on something, and I put it onto the home line, the triple play. But with technology, you get a program. And now when you call the church phone, it goes to whoever's on staff and duty at the time. It goes right to their cell phone. So we don't need a commercial line. Technology. Change. Sometimes change is good. Huh? Save $200 a month on that one. Shoot. Thank you, Cable. Amen. But I like change. I do. I embrace change. Change is good. Decide what you're not willing to change and deal with it. Because refusal to be swayed in your conviction. Now, let's get back up. Now, because I want to say change. And I don't, I don't want to get carried away because oh, let's all change. There are certain non-negotiables. Like Jesus Christ is Lord. You don't change that. We have certain moral convictions that are not unchangeable. We're not talking about that. We're talking about the scope of life in the world system. Right? Right? So the proof that you've learned your lesson. Anybody ever learn a lesson? Yeah. The proof. Now I'm going to tell you, I'm gonna, here's the proof if you have learned your lesson. Whatever you did right or wrong, more, whatever you did wrong, the proof that you've learned your lesson is you changed. You used to be rude, obnoxious. You're not no more because every time you were like that, you got in trouble. So you had to change. Yes. Now you're nice and kind. If you're still rude and obnoxious, then you haven't learned your lesson. Guess what? You're going to go through more problems because you need to change. But when you've learned your lesson, the proof is you changed. The fourth thing you go through is fear. Fear. I ain't afraid of no ghosts. Fear. See, fear has the ability to exaggerate itself. 
Can, can I say it again? Fear will exaggerate itself and it spreads throughout your life. Yes. You know, when you're afraid, you exaggerate what the situation is. Uh-huh. You know, some people will lie because they're afraid. Why did you tell me to do it? I was afraid. If I, if I told you I did that, that you would be mad. So, so you just exaggerated your situation. Why? Because you were afraid. Rather than being truthful, staying true to the word, honest and open and transparent, your fear said, boy, do what I say. That's what your fear said. Your fear doesn't punk you. Fear. Fear. See, fear, when fear grips, it'll freeze us and often make us incapable of action. You know, you ever hear that, that, that term? Like they were caught with a deer, like a deer in the headlights, right? You ever see a deer gets afraid, what do they do? Instead of running, they go, uh, they stop and pow! You hit it, right? If you don't believe me, ask Jose and Yupin. They hit the same deer, I guess, on the same corner, or twice. <laughs> They're the only people I know that actually hit a deer on the same corner. I think the first deer seen Jose hit it and got, went and got his homeboy. Said, hey, yo, that's, that's the dude's old lady right there. Let's get her. Right? And they came out and she hit the next one. Oh, yeah. <laughs> that's, like, that's unbelievable. But don't get caught like a deer in the headlights. Because that's what fear, fear will freeze you. Fear will freeze you. Huh? So we, know, we have to know how to handle fear. Because this is, this is a good part. Good part for me, maybe not for you. Depends how your light looks at it. You need fear. Why? See, without... Well, let me back up. Yeah, I'll say it like this. Because without fear, your faith can never be tested. Never. So, in your walk with Jesus, you have to come to a point where the next step in your walk, and this is where people back away from ministry. Oh, that's the boogeyman, right? They, they get to a point in their walk with the Lord that fear rises. And it's not that the, the fear is bad. The fear is needed to see if you can step out in faith. And most people, because they're afraid, what do they do? Instead of stepping out in fear, they say, I can't. And they back up. I want to do this, but I can't because I'm not smart enough. I want to do this, but I can't because I I, I can't read. I can't write. I can't can't think. I I, want to go, but I'm afraid. And see, and God wants to show you that it's not you, it's Him. If God brings you to a junction in your life where fear is rising, He he wants to bring you to a point where you understand this, that if it's not Him, it's nothing. And because we're afraid, we don't want to trust Him. So let's just back away and not do whatever we might want to do. Fear is a cruel taskmaster. It's cruel. Huh? How do, lead, how do people fix their fear? You need to discover the foundation of your fear. Where did it come from? Most of our fears are, are given to us from our, our upbringing. You know, I'm, a, I'm afraid of, of dogs. Why? Because your uncle was afraid of dogs and told you dogs are terrible. Now you're afraid of dogs. I'm afraid of this. Why? Because this happened and this happened. All our fears are, are inbred because a child has no fear until we tell them you should be afraid of that. And all these fears are inbred by society, by tradition. Right? You know, growing up as a Hispanic Mexican in the neighborhood, we had this old thing that whenever we're, we're going to do something or go somewhere where we shouldn't be going, my mom would say, don't go there because La Llorona is going to get you. Right? Now, everybody in every neighborhood had La Llorona. I thought she lived in my neighborhood. I found out she was in Pueblo and Rocky Ford too. That chick gets everywhere. 
the big witch was going to get you. So growing up, inbreded the fear into us. Culture. Right? And I see parents do it. Don't go outside. Don't go outside. Somebody's going to steal you. Somebody's going to steal me, mommy? Yes. Don't, why? Because they want to control. So they, they think by controlling, you inbred fear. Instead of saying, don't go outside because they're unwives, and you need to be careful and explain reasons. Reasons take too long. It's easier to control people with fear. Fear. Hmm? So you need to accept fear as a price for progress. Can I say that again? Fear is going to come. Walk through it. What are the old saying from the military man? We have nothing to fear but fear itself. Huh? You got, fear is part of the progress. I can tell. I, in ministry, I have enjoyed huge amounts of fear. Huge amounts of fear. But listen, the greater the fear, the greater the reward. That's <laughs> like, whoa, I was afraid of that one. Walked through it. I said, whoa, go, doggy, yeah. Come on, Jack. Now I like fear. Come on, fear. Uh, it's like that movie, right? You know, the, 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 the crumbs. Come on, Clem, cross that line. I tell fear the same thing. Come on, fear, cross the line. Because you're walking over, but you're limping back. Huh? I like fear. Huh? See, we need to feed the right emotion and starve the wrong one. When fear grips you, the right emotion is have the right attitude. Huh? Be positive. It doesn't mean to be blatantly un uh, uh, unregulated. No. Fear, good healthy fear is needed to keep us from danger. But don't let fear stop you. Maybe let it slow you down so you can look a little bit more perspective. Allow it to, to, to slow your creep, but keep moving. Amen? Don't let it stop you. So we cannot avoid the emotion of fear, but we have to understand its benefit. Because despite our best efforts to have courage, fear settles into the pit of our stomach when we're going through it. Anybody been there? Now, I, I call myself courageous man, but when I've had things like, you know that, that ugly feeling you get in your stomach? Like, ugh. Don't you hate that feeling? Yeah. Something's wrong. What's wrong? Oh, man. Is this, is this going to work, Lord? Oh, God. Is this going to work, Lord? Lord, Lord, Lord. Oh, God. You know, come on. Anybody? Just, is that just me? No. Okay. Don't let me hang it now. Right? I, I know that feeling. But, but I don't let it stop me. I don't, oh, I don't like that feeling. I'm never going to do that again. No. God, let me, give me the grace to handle this feeling because I don't like this feeling. But I'm going to keep stepping. Huh? And I keep walking forward. If I, and if I fall, I always fall forward. I don't fall backwards. And I get up and keep going. Huh? And lastly, failure. So I've seen many people with self-sabotaging traits stemming from an unhealthy perspective toward failure. So in other words, when I say self-sabotaging, they consider themselves failures. So rather than stop, they sabotage the process to start. Uh -huh. Really trippy people. Because yes. in their mind, they know, they, they know they're going to fail or they don't want to approach that fear of failure so rather than starting they sabotage the start that way they can never say they, 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 they failed I just never started and they can walk with their head of high and pride in their light that is all darkness hmm? see some live with a nagging sense of impending failure Others don't believe they're good enough to succeed. Or sooner or later, they fulfill their self-expectation of failure. And these are people that put upon themselves. And I'm here to tell you, the devil's a liar. Don't you listen to that. You're not created to fail. 
You're created to win. Amen. You're, you're not the, the least. God wants to make you the head and not the tail. Amen. Don't listen to those lies. If you are breathing, you've been, been created in God's image. You have his, his creativity power. You have the ability to speak things into existence that are, that are not. You have that in you. But the world is bombarding you, bombarding you. Why? Because they want to fog up your light so you can't see it. That's what the world does. God says, no. No, don't do that. Huh? Got to be willing to take a risk every now and then. Because we have to be people who know how to handle failure. Here it is. The key is when you fail, never give up. Thank you, Lord. Notice when I say, when you fail. Because I'm going to let you in on a secret. You're going to fail. Something's going to go wrong. Uh-huh. Not everything, but something's going to go wrong. Yes. What does that mean? You give up? No, man. Just get back up. Learn from the problem. Get over the discouragement. Keep trucking along. Don't let the fear grip you. Because you're going to blow it every now and then. Like I said earlier, if you're going to fall, fall forward. Don't give up. Amen. Get up. Keep doing it. 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 And believe me, if you have that kind of stick to it attitude, you're going to win. Right? Because I don't care. You cannot keep a good man or a good woman down. You've heard that a hundred times. You cannot keep them down. You can't. It's impossible. Impossible. See, we have to change our vocabulary. Because we, we learn to profit from failure. Turn a setback into a springboard to greater effectiveness. Warren Bennis, he is like a leadership guru. If you ever want to read a book on leadership, you need to read it. Written by Warren Bennis. He interviewed 70 of our nation's top performers. And these are top performers in a bunch of different fields. And not one of the 70 Top performers use the word failure to describe their mistake. Instead, they referred to their failures that we would call failures oftentimes. They referred to them as learning experiences, tuition paid, detours of my life, or opportunities for growth. The attitude. Remember, talk about attitude. When you fail, if you fail, was it a failure or was it a learning experience? If you use it, it becomes a learning experience. It was a needed experience for your life. If you made a mistake, perhaps it was just tuition paid. You needed to take a class and you weren't listening, so God took you to a class and he needed you to pay some tuition. It felt like a failure, but that wasn't a failure. It was just tuition that you needed to learn that lesson. Huh? Or perhaps it was simply an opportunity for growth. So when you're going through all that, I learned this. And I'm coming in for landing. I'm my piano player, come on up. You have to keep a sense of humor. Yeah. Okay. Keep a sense of humor. Why? You know, I, I've been under so much stuff. And I, I tell myself, man, if this wasn't so serious, it'd be comical. I mean, it's like, are you kidding me? If it wasn't so crucial to my life, I, I, it would be comical. Because it, it's got to be a joke. God, are you playing jokes on me up there? Are you, you like the big jokester in the sky? You just like messing with the brother? Because huh? it's comical. And if you keep a sense of humor, if you're able to laugh through it, you're going to get through it. You're going to get through it. Because it's going to get better. And the Bible is clear. If Jesus is on your side, if he is with you, then who, who can be against you? Huh? What can harm you? What can hurt you? What can keep you down? Nothing. Huh? Paul said, I've been stoned. I've been beaten. I've been shipwrecked. I've been through, he's been through hell and back. Amen. And he knew that God was going to see him through. And God did see him through. God blessed his life, gave us the, most of the new scriptures, New Testament scriptures. So we need to make failure a learning experience. 
Never walk away from a failure or a tuition paid uh, empty-handed. What did I learn from that? Wow, I learned that one. Don't do that one again. Oh, that was a good one. Oh, God, that was a good one. Hey, God, you could have just sent me a letter on that one. I would have learned from that one. That was a heavy one. He, God said, I did send you a letter. You, you kept turning it back. So I had to put you through it. Well, hmm? see, each failure comes with a lesson attached. And we can learn invaluable principles from them. As I close, Ephesians chapter 3, verse 20. I'm going to read it out of the message, MSG Bible. Ephesians 3.20. God can do anything, you know, far more than you could ever imagine or guess or request in your wildest dreams. He does it not by pushing us around, but by working within us. His spirit deeply and gently within us. That's how he does it. So how you see things, how you see your light, depends on how you handle life. How you handle what's your attitude like. Because we can't get away from it. Everybody gets discouraged. Everybody has problems. Everybody Resist change. Everyone feels fear. And everybody is going to experience failure. So it's not those five things. Those are not our enemies. In fact, I'm going to go as far as to say, those five things are our friends. Our enemy is how we see things. And how we allow the, the world to, to prejudice what we look at. I want every head bowed and every eye closed.